Medtronic Technologies impacted more than 72 million people in the last year, equating to two people every second. Harnessing the power of technology to take healthcare further, each technology has unique benefits designed to serve patients. The goal of this program is to get closer to the patient and to delve into the challenges and impact each technology has in practice. This is the Medtronic MedEd Learning Experience. The BIS monitoring system should not be used as the sole basis for diagnosis or therapy and is intended only as an adjunct in patient assessment. Reliance on BIS system alone for intraoperative anesthetic management is not recommended. Medtronic's medical education programs are offered to provide attendees education on the FDA-cleared indications and use of our products when applicable. The contents and conclusions of the following program are solely those of the speakers unless otherwise cited. The speakers are responsible for all content and any necessary permissions. The speakers received funding from Covidian LP, a Medtronic company, for the speaking engagement. For this segment of the series, a discussion on anesthesia and the brain, a conversation about how biz can help reduce PACU time, with Dr. TJ Gann, Professor of Anesthesiology and Distinguished Endowed Chair at Stony Brook University, and with Dr. Stephen Bader, Chief of Cardiothoracic Surgery at Heritage Valley Health System in Beaver, PA. So in regards to getting patients out of the recovery room faster, you know, in my community hospital, we have, and I think it's a pretty common problem, even in big university hospitals, we have constraints of space in the recovery room. So essentially middle of the day, sometimes we'll end up having patients piling up in the operating rooms that don't have a place to go to in the recovery room. Uh, so there's this increased pressure on us to really reduce the amount of time that the patient spends in the recovery area, if you can. You know, so that leads to us inventing all sorts of exotic anesthetic techniques. And I think there's been a lot of attention paid to that in the literature. How do we get patients to recover faster? So it used to be, you know, which anesthetic agent, which gas is going to get the patient to recover faster. And we would measure how long they were in the recovery room with isoflurane versus desflurane. Um, but I think there's tremendous value in using the BIS monitor, whichever anesthetic technique you're using, you know, to shorten the amount of time the patient will spend in recovery because you you know, you have the confidence to use less overall agent during the procedure, uh, especially long acting opioids. You know, if you're in a practice that uses a lot of hydromorphone or morphine uh, as part of your anesthetic cocktail, you know, you can end up really keeping the patient in the recovery room uh, a lot longer than necessary because somebody's just sort of following their usual habits of, of giving lots of long acting opioids. So if you're using the BIS monitor during maintenance and emergence, you'll reduce the amount of anesthetic agent you'll use in most cases. I think when we don't have it, we tend to err on the side of having the patient be a little deeper than necessary for most of the procedure. Uh, do you feel like that's a common you know, uh, thought amongst anesthesia people that I'd rather overdo it with the anesthesia than underdo it, You know, the, that fear of awareness? Yeah, I think uh, Steve is exactly right. I think that again, that is because if you don't have a monitor and you don't know where your patient is, you know, it's a bit like uh, flying without an altimeter. You have no idea, you know, your plane, especially is in the cloud where you can't see anything. What is your, you know, are you about to fly into a mountain range, right? Yeah. But I think um, the other thing I think is interesting is that we typically dose our drugs based on what we call pharmacokinetics. That means that we study, you know, as part of pharmacology, what is the dose milligrams per kilo and in adults and in children and various type of drugs. So we use that as a guide to dose the patient. 
but what we don't think about, uh, and it's because we don't really have a good way to think about, is what is a pharmacodynamics, right? So that is how do the patient respond to the drugs that we give? And we all know every patient is different from age, elderly, young, different organ function, you know, different genetics. So everyone need different amount of drugs to reach a level of sedation. And just purely basing on pharmacokinetics, that is milligrams per kilo or micrograms per kilo per minute is not the most sophisticated way of reaching the optimal amount of drugs that we give for sedation. Uh, whereas BISH actually tells you what is the pharmacodynamic aspect. In other words, how does a patient respond to the drugs that I'm giving? And is it adequate? An elderly patient may be too much. Younger patient, maybe too little. But without knowing what the uh, base is, you have no idea. So I think this will give you the, help you to titrate the right amount of drugs. And sometimes it does surprise you, as you said earlier, that older patient, you think that always need less drug, may not be the case. And younger people may need more drug, but it may not be the case. And we have shown in previous studies that using this to titrate the amount of sedative uh, during an anesthetic, uh, not only reduce the amount of drug that you use, on average about 20 to 30%, and there have been many studies have validated that, but also keeping the bis at the level intended will speed up your emergence time, will also reduce your PACU time. And that, as you said earlier, nowadays, where PACU is the rate limiting factor in getting the patient out of the operating room because of PACU hole, that is significantly um, economically in, uh, crucial to trying to have a better PACU flow, uh, reduce PACU length of stay. And because we know that the cost of PACU uh, time as well as more, even more so OR time is tremendous. Yeah, I, I like the uh, idea of, you know, pharmacokinetics is sort of attractive when you're in school, you're learning all of this stuff, you know, the calculations and weight basing. I, I, had a, uh, I had a patient recently that was very anxious about awareness. They were convinced they were going to be awake during the surgery and they were really worried that we had their weight wrong. You know, so the patient was weighed the morning of surgery. He says, I think I'm actually five or 10 pounds heavier than that. When you dose my anesthesia, please make sure you dose it right. And so you have to explain to a layperson that, well, really, you know, we do use the pharmacokinetic knowledge, you know, weight-based dosing of drugs in a cocktail and how the two, the two drugs will affect the effect of the other. So that, you know, synergism means we don't necessarily have to use so much of one if we're using three. Um, but really it is, the art is reflected in the pharmacodynamics. You know, our assessment of the effect of the drug is far more important than, you know, calculating the dose based on the patient's weight. Uh, and having, you know, an end organ monitor of the effect of the medication is akin, you know, the BIS monitor being, uh, you know, in the proper range, you know, in the 40 to 60 range in response to what you think the patient will need is, is exactly the same as using the heart rate by EKG to assess whether or not you've given enough metoprolol to lower the heart rate, you know, so we have an actual end organ effect that uh, we can measure to sum up the pharmacodynamic and pharmacokinetic effect for that particular patient. Yeah, it's funny. So, you know, it's not so simple as just picking a dose based on their weight. Uh, 
you know, for a variety of reasons. And when you're, you know, when you're young in practice, that's sort of frustrating. And then when you get older in practice, you'll see, you know, anesthetists who've been at it for 20 or 30 years, they don't think twice about what the patient weighs. They just sort of eyeball them from across the room, you know, make a lot of assumptions and titrate to effect. Um, the thing is, if you have a BIS monitor, you can actually measure the effect clearly and be confident as opposed to inferring it from all the other, you know, signs and symptoms. So getting back to the, to the PACU, I think, you know, if you're just eyeballing them from across the room and using your years of experience, you'll probably get it right most of the time, but you will occasionally overdo it and have that guy in the recovery room forever piling up, you know, piling up the cases in the OR that can't get out. So, yeah, I think um, the value of this in being able to directly measure your effect so that you could have the confidence to use a little less during maintenance and certainly towards the end during emergence uh, will let you get them out of the room faster. The other thing, do you think, you know, by avoiding hypotension, using the BIS to sort of, you know, better titrate our anesthetic agents and avoid hypotensive episodes, I wonder if that gets them out of the recovery room faster too. I've noticed patients that suffered hypotension in the OR certainly seem to have longer recovery times. You know, post-op delirium is more common when you've suffered a lot of hypotension during the procedure. Do you see that? Yeah, I think certainly, uh, Steve, there are data uh, more in the last few years that suggests that hypotension during surgery is associated with uh, post-operative complications. Uh, and this has been um, you know, published in uh, quite widely more recently. And the longer the duration of hypotension, uh, the um, higher the complication rate, either it's because of MI and also uh, increasingly, um, there's data suggesting that uh, a deeper anesthetic may be associated with post-operative delirium. And uh, there have been you know, several big trials that shows an association between um, deep anesthetic and defined as uh, those with birth suppression. If you look at the EEG tracing, uh, there's an increased incidence of post-operative delirium. And we know that Post-operative delirium is uh, underdiagnosed, and because we don't really have a uh, routine assessment of these patients, it's particularly elderly and you know patients who are on different drugs, uh, you know polypharmacy, and those uh, factors increase uh, post-operative delirium. And in addition to the deeper anesthetic um, with suppression, also seems to be associated with increased incidence of post-operative delirium. Yeah, I think um, things have gone up and down on this subject a lot over the last 20, 30 years. You know, when I started training in the early O's, many of my attendings really believed that nothing we did in the OR had any sort of lasting outcome on the patient, right? The idea in the 60s, 70s, 80s was that as long as they left the operating room alive, you know, probably the type of anesthesia didn't have that much of a lasting effect on outcomes. And as we came to realize that, yeah, there's lots of things that the type of and way that we deliver the anesthesia in the OR uh, does probably have an effect on other outcomes afterwards. Um, I remember when the Terry Monk uh, papers, you know, came out regarding depth of anesthesia and, you know, post-operative complications. Uh, and it's, we built on that, like many, many papers, that association, I think, has been strongly cemented that overdoing it with the anesthesia, having the patient unnecessarily deep does have consequences in the recovery room and maybe longer than that, right? Maybe months later, they've had some effect from hypotensive episodes 
you know, depth of anesthesia being profoundly too much, you know, burst suppression for the whole case is probably not good for anybody's brain, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think the other um, the other things that uh, we talked about earlier about pharmacokinetics, one of the, another common problems that we face is that in a very obese patients, patient for bariatric surgery who come who weighs you know four hundred pounds, do you you know give the drugs weight to the ideal body weight or is it total body weight? Right. I mean that's often is a common question from from my residents. And uh, because, you know, um, the, um, most of the weight is in, in fat and is not in the volume of distribution. So, you know, giving based on total body weight, we are maybe overdosing, um, whereas ideal body weight may be underdosing. And again, having this to assess the pharmacodynamic effect. In other words, what is the end organ effect, in this case, the brain, uh, will better uh, guide us to what is the right amount of um, sedative um, drugs. Yeah, I think that obesity problem uh, has been discussed again in the 20 years I've been doing this since I was a trainee till now. We, uh, we have had that same question. What, what uh, number do I use for this 400 pound patient? Well, the answer is we don't really know still, right? That's not been settled upon. What formula should you use? You know, their uh, actual body weight for dosing and purposes of the drug certainly should not be used, but it, what's the formula to follow for our dosing? I, I do love that question and it's still something we struggle with. So being able to actually monitor the effect with the BIS allows you to titrate and really do a true titration to effect starting maybe with their ideal body weight. Um, you know, on induction, that's one of those things that um, I was trained, you know, like most people to just give the bolus quickly of propofol or pentothal or whatever your induction agent was. And you've picked that dose and you've committed to it. There's the other school of thought with people who would have me give two or three cc's at a time, wait 30 seconds, talk to the patient, you know, so your induction dose of, of sedative agent would be given over the course of two minutes as you're talking to the patient. That's a very old fashioned way of doing it. That's still very effective. And if you have a bis on, you can really feel confident to stop it eight cc's of propofol in the right patient when you might've given them 14 or 15, you know, based on your first instinct, if you just bolus it. So that's something, I don't know if you've ever done that with residents in particular, you probably do challenge them once in a while to do that slow induction. And it's kind of uh, fun. To have no, absolutely. That. I think, you know, we typically, um, you know, want to assess a patient response when we give a drug, you know, just like in any scenario. And I think this is a good example. I think, short of um, um, doing a rapid sequence where you really want to get the endotracheal tube in the patient as quickly as possible, uh, most of the time really you should be titrating. That's what the titration of the drug to effect. Uh, it should be the general principles, I think, you know, when you uh, um, induce a patient or, uh, you know, as in anything that we treat, whether it's blood pressure, you know, we want to titrate to effect. And I think there's no difference in this scenario giving a sedative Please tune in next week for a new segment from this series wherever you find your podcast. This is the Medtronic MedEd Learning Experience. Thank you for listening.